We're going to be looking, uh, the topic for tonight is going to be looking at faith and reason. Um, faith and reason. We're going to be looking tonight at, a, at the relations. Uh, what is the relationship of faith and reason? Um, what, uh, because the world has a different ideas and sometimes even other Christians have different ideas among different Christians. Uh, but I actually want to look at this more of saying, okay, what does the Bible have to say? about what is the relationship of faith and reason. And of course, if you know, um, you know, for those of you guys that have been in um, education quite long enough, um, you guys will know that often in academia, people would see that faith and reasons are what? Are incompatible. I think we need to talk about this before we even go over giving evidence, okay? Um, before we even talk about even critiquing atheism or other worldviews, um, because if people have a wrong view already of faith and reason, then it makes it even to be a no point, okay? Um, I remember often before COVID, I would do a lot of campus, college campus evangelism. And people would try to talk about faith and, and they'll say, oh, Christianity is unreasonable. And then I would say, no, Christianity is reasonable. In fact, if you don't have Christianity, you can't even have reason. Then I discover, okay, I can't go further if they think the definition of faith means believing in something that's not true, okay? Then I realize, okay, we need to deal with the wrong definition first, um, and saying, this is not what I believe. This is a straw man. If you say, this is my beliefs, um, this is what the Bible teaches. And then afterward, only, only until it's clear what we mean by faith and reason, and also that the Bible teaches faith and reason is it are, are things that we can have, only then can we clarify the relationship. Can we then give reason and faith, okay, uh, with various things. Um, so in light of this, um, we want to look at today uh, four truths to have a biblical view of faith and reason, okay? So we're going to look at four truths, okay? How many? Four truths, okay? And each one is going to be little sub-points, okay? So if you're taking notes, these are going to be the four points for tonight, okay? Point number one is God wants us to have faith. Point number one, um, probably the most uncontested part tonight, uh, if we're a biblical Christian, is point number one, God wants us to have faith, okay? Point number two, God wants us to reason, Point number two is God wants us to reason, okay? Point number two, God wants us to reason. Then point number three, I want to look at wrong views of relationship of faith and reason. Wrong views of relationship of faith and reason, okay? Or another way, if you want to write it shorter, wrong views of faith and re reason, okay? Wrong views of relationship of faith and reason, um, because just because we have faith and reason is biblical doesn't mean you, you re relate it properly. Okay, so we want to look at wrong views of faith and reason. And finally, the fourth point is going to be the right view of, of faith and reason. Okay, the right view of faith and reason. Um, and I want to, before we even go further, I want, to, uh, I want you guys to realize that um, the last three weeks of looking at apologetics method, before we go into like showing worldviews are what worldviews are wrong and the reasons why and why we are Christian and things like that, um, I want to mention that these th last three weeks, they actually are logical in the sense that um, one, you know, we're building upon one at a time. You know, remember how last week I mentioned that teaching apologetics, I almost feel it's like, oh man, I want to say so many things all at once. But then I realized I can't say everything all at once. It's almost like building the space shuttle, the International Space Station, right? We can only send a space shuttle one at a time, one you know, uh, one trip at a time to build the thing over time. Okay, I think apologetics is the same way also as well. We can only send one rocket um, at a time to build things, and then the next one in each week at a time. And this is where I want to encourage you guys to be patient with me as we laid out all of this. Um, 
And even next week, I also, obviously, because of Easter, I mentioned, or Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday, we're going to actually look at one of the evidence for Messianic prophecy already from Daniel. But there's a reason why we laid all this, and this is all building upon one another. Because if you remember the very first session, we looked at how... We looked at introduction to apologetics. We defined it and also saw that there's a duty for Christians um, to do apologetics. Okay, I called that ADD last week, um, the first one, right? Apologetics definition and um, duty. Okay, so we saw that we have a duty to defend the Christian faith, to defend it rationally. Okay, of course, then if we say we're going to defend the Christian faith, then that leads to the next logical question is what is the right view of faith and reason? And because and also there's different ideas of what is faith, definition of faith. There's also different ideas of what is reason. And there's different idea of what is faith and reason in a relationship to one another. Then how do we deal with this? Um, then I think last week we saw it was very important that there's no religious neutrality. You guys remember this? There's no religious neutrality. And one of the implications is that if there's no religious neutrality, we as Christians, when we come to think about faith and reason, we need to actually operate consciously purposely, intentionally, to think biblically, okay, uh, with regards to faith and reason. So I laid down last week about no religious neutrality. That's going to come later on when we critique worldviews, why we always begin with the Christian worldview. But another part why it's important is even for this, when we talk about faith and reason, I'm not just going to give like, okay, this is what all these philosophers and historians and, and, and theologians think, but ultimately we want to be driven by scripture in answering the question, what is faith? It, should we have faith? What is reason? Should we have reason? And what is a wrong and right relationship between uh, faith and reason? Okay, so this is it's still a Bible study. Okay, this is going to be still a Bible study. Um, as much as possible on Tuesday night, we want to be go by God's word. Okay, um, for some of us, we might even ask, okay, if it's all about a Bible study, then how do we give reason? Does that mean we don't ever give reason? Does that mean we never show objectively there's some things that are false worldviews out there? Um, that will be, but just be patient. But even no matter how we defend our faith, there could be no neutrality. We always begin with the Christian faith. Um, so in light of this, we'll answer these questions um, uh, with the Bible, looking at this first and answering the relationship of faith and reason. First one is perhaps the least controversial, is God wants us to have faith, or at least controversial among Christians, okay? Um, or Bible-believing Christians. Um, God wants us to have faith. Before we go further, point number one, oh, God wants us to have faith. We ask the question, what is faith? I'll stop you real quick. What is faith, guys? What do you guys think this is faith? I know I'm probably um, taking a big risk. What is faith? Before we look at what does the Bible teach? Uh, the assurance of things unseen. Uh, the, I forgot that word for word definition. It gives yeah. the substance of things hoped for. Amen. The evidence of things not seen. Amen. Okay. Um, that verse obviously is going to appear later on. Um, but I just want to look at the Greek word. Okay. The Greek word is pistos. Okay. Um, I could pronounce it wrong. Um, I, I felt when I was in seminar, I was the only person, I was the only person ever in undergrad when I took classical Greek and also in biblical Greek in seminar that anyone ever in class when they tried reading, no one ever laughed except for myself because I think I'm just so um, conscious of the way I, I probably don't pronounce consciously that it, it just sounds funny. Um, or it sounds very Americanese, probably. Okay, um, the word pistos appears um, 240 times in the New Testament. Okay, the noun form, the verbal form appears equally as much, 240 times. So if you add this all together, it's almost 500 times between the noun and verbal form. Do you guys think faith is important for Christians? 
I mean, that's just the New Testament alone, okay? By the way, the ad adjective form um, appears 65 times. I mean, this, if you add this together, this is almost 600 times, okay? 600 times. There's also other words um, besides pistos that's used to convey the, the, uh, the other synonym for faith. So faith is very important, okay? Faith is very important um, for the Christian. And the verbal form, what does it mean? It means the idea of pistos means believing something is true. Okay, and I actually do believe the word uh, faith in the Greek has a lot of idea. Uh, there's a dimension to it of trusting. Okay, uh, of trusting. You're not just only knowing. Okay, this is this is an idea someone believes out there. There's some people who believe this. This is not just having. This is also saying you yourself believe in it and you trust in this um, that this is real. Okay, um, so so are there verses in light of what we know what pistos mean that what faith means are there verses that convey the importance of faith that god wants us to have faith the answer is yes i'm not going to look at a lot of verses um because i think this is almost a given but i want to at least because it's still a bible study we want to look at two verses for this okay um let's turn real quick to john 1 12 you guys could turn with me to john chapter 1 verse 12 when we turn to john 1 12 just so i could catch my breath um and Hannah, could you give me a bottle of water real quick? So catch my breath and drink water. Could I have as a motivated reader, Jesus, would you be able to read John 1, 12? And the next reader I want to ask is Chris after, after for the next verse. John 1, 12. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Amen. Okay. Notice here, faith is important because it's, it's even teaching that to become a child of God. And it, by the way, you see here, God takes the initiative, right? He gave the right to become children of God. Uh, even our salvation, I think, is always important. Never forget that God is the author of our salvation. And if He didn't first take the initiative, we would never, ever be saved. Because in our own sinfulness, we would never want to even be saved to begin with. But here we see His grace. That to, believe, to those who believe in His name, we could be, what? A child of God. And this is the doctrine of adoption, right? I think the moment you get saved, there's so many things that happen all at once. You guys realize that? You're no longer, um, the Bible says, in unbelief, we're a child of sin, right? Or son of disobedience. Or even son of wrath, as in we deserve wrath. So we become adopted. We become a child of God, right? There's so many things that's happened all at once. We become part of the family of God. We get justified, that is, legally, if we were to appear before the throne room of God, we would be declared not guilty, but even be declared righteous because of Christ. So all these multiple faceted things, and it begins first with us having faith, that is, we trust or believe, as you see here. So you see that Christians, God wants us to have faith, okay? Specifically, in faith of what is true about what Christ has done to save us, amen? Okay, so let's look at another passage. Let's turn to Acts 2.44. When we turn to Acts 2.44, Chris will be my motivated reader. The next one I'll ask to read afterward will be Mrs. Burton, okay? But Acts 2.44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Amen, okay? This is the early church. Uh, Acts 2, I think, is the birth of the church. Um there was always a people of God, always throughout time, from Abraham, correction, Adam onward. But here in this instance, in the day of Pentecost here, okay, in, in the day of Pentecost, you see that the believers, um, the believers that were, uh, there were people that 
were in Jerusalem for a holiday day called Pentecost, right? A Jewish holiday. And while they were there, um, Peter stood up and started preaching. They, there was a speaking of tongues and preaching of the gospel in many languages. And people, the Jewish from all different parts of the world would be there. And then they heard the gospel being preached and some became believers. And notice when it calls what believers are called, or Christians are called. They're called believers. This is a, actually a participle of the word believe. And it's saying, and I think what it's saying is that a believer, one of the correction, a Christian, one of the characteristics of someone that is saved, that God has saved and loved and saved, is that they have belief, and it's an enduring belief, and it becomes a characteristics of a believer. So you see here that these believers were gathering together, studying about God under the apostles' feet, but they also had all things in common. And why they had all things in common was not because they were trying to implement communism or something like that. It's because don't forget these guys were. All pilgrimage, committing uh, pilgrimage. They were from all over, going to Jerusalem, but they stayed a little bit longer to understand the Christian faith before they go back home. So while they were going back home, some would have perhaps stayed longer than they planned. What they have of money and, and of, of belongings. So that's why there's a sharing of goods of believers for that moment, at that moment, so that they would be able to learn deeply what is what God has done, the gospel and the riches of God's truth before they go back. So in light of all this, not only did they share things in common as the characteristics in the early church here in Jerusalem, but also the believers were together, okay, um, with these things. But they definitely a characteristics is they believe. So does God want us to believe and have faith? The answer is yes, okay? Like I said, the least controversial of our point tonight. Let's go to point number two. Um, this might be a little bit more controversial. Um, not controversial too much, I hope. Um, but sometimes we, perhaps we don't think about it in this term. Um, God also wants us to reason. Okay, God also wants us to reason. Um, so point number two, if you're taking notes, God wants us to reason. And here, under this point, we're going to have two more sub-points. I want to talk about what is reasoning, or what is reason, before we look at verses that show that God wants us definitely to reason. That reason in the scripture is seen as a positive thing. Okay? seen as a positive thing um so what is reason um a common root word for reasoning in in the greek new testament is the word like legizomai okay is the word legizomai is a common verb that is used to talk about um reasoning okay um by the way what is it does it sound like any english word that sounds related to reason say again isn't the word now in, in john one isn't the word used there Logos, and isn't that the basis for logic? The word logic? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the verbal form... Uh, so, let me back up. Um, I think there might be a shared cognate, but I, I think log, logos logos is, is actually a separate word than uh, legizomai. Um, I, I, I don't know how to say this. Oh, man. I don't want to get into too much of grammar. There's some words that sometimes look the same, but I think there's a, a different track. Of, of 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 the word, but they might have something that's previously before that 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 share. So logos often refers to thinking, logic, reasoning, um, or even abstract concepts. Um, but I think legizma is more of the activity of thinking itself. Um, there is a, for lack of a better term in English, an iz in there within that word. Okay. Um, so uh, here we see. Um, it, it, where we get the root word of even with logic, okay? Um, and, and the word here, legizoma, actually refers to talking about thinking. But thinking that goes uh, goes according to certain rules, okay? There's rules within these thinking, 
Okay, there's rules within these thinkings. It's often referred to thinking in terms of that when you're thinking about something, there is acceptance of reasoning, oh, correction of evidence. Like there must be a basis for why you believe things, okay? And also, it's often refers to even thinking in a mathematical sense also as well, okay? Also thinking in terms of mathematical sense, okay? So it's reasoning that involves what? There are rules and good rules that you're abiding by. Does that make sense? Uh, and by the way, for me, um, I, like I mentioned earlier, why did I mention about mathematical sense of reasoning is also included here? Is I actually think mathematics, the laws of mathematics, is actually a subset of the laws of logic. Laws of logic, I think, are laws of thought, okay? It's a subset of that. Now, why this is important um, is because I, I think the Bible talks uses this term. And reasoning, therefore, is important in the Bible, okay? Because this term legizomai in the New Testament appears 40 times, okay? Uh, appears 40 different times. And interestingly, the one that uses the word in the New Testament, this word legizomai the most, is actually Paul. Now, it appears, legizomai, the verbal form, appears 40 times. 34 of those times is used by Paul. So do you think Paul thinks reasoning is important? Is that important for him? Yes. Okay. Uh, of course, some of the other authors in the New Testament saw that as important too. But I think Paul, um, I personally think, man, if you follow just even doctrines, he lays it out very logically, including books like in uh, Romans. Um, okay. So the noun form appears twice. Okay. But we don't just only look at the word. Sometimes there's a lot of synonym or even also as well, which appears a lot in the New Testament is the word because and the word for all those preposition. Um, that shows basis and reasoning that shows, of course, the importance of reasoning. Okay. So are there verses that's important for reasoning? I would say yes. And we've already looked at some of it earlier. If you remember when we looked at, uh, our first session on the Christian have a duty to engage in apologetics, all those verses that shows apologia, or we give a reason in light of hostility, why Christianity is true. All those verses that we saw earlier, all those shows the importance of reasoning. Okay. By the way, apologia is actually one of, it's actually a derivative from legizomai, okay? With a preposition, apo, okay? Uh, of giving a reason of what came before uh, hand, okay? So we see that, um, we, we see that all those verses apply. But let's also see, I want to show you, there's even more verses with that, okay? Here's one that perhaps we don't often think about that shows that God himself reason, okay? One of the reasons why God wants us to reason is God, I think within God, within the Trinity, there is a there is a logic that is within the Godhead also as well, okay? Um, turn with me real quick to James 2.23. James 2.23, I think I asked Mrs. Burton to be the next reader. The next one after that, I want to ask if possible, would be Mandy, if you can, after that. Thank you, okay? James 2.23. So much. Um, she's reading from the Amplified. For those of you guys that are tracking, wondering why are those extra words? 
I wanted her to read just because I just wanted to see if perhaps they might have filled in more with the shade or possible range of meaning with the word credited to him, okay? The word in the Greek is actually from logizomai, okay? Logizomai. Most of the commentaries, if you read, they would say, okay, this is used in an accounting sense. Like, you know, an accountant would count money and then they would add or subtract and there will be debt or there will be credit. And it's saying here, using this analogy, it's saying that Abraham, in the Old Testament, salvation was always by what? Faith. And Abraham believed. When he believed, what? guess what happened? It was credited to him. Or another word, it was, there is, there's implications. That once he's, there's a statement of, if faith, then what? Then righteousness. And if you think about, if you ever have taken a class in, in formal logic, a formal logic, a categorical logic is often if A, then B statement, right? Then A and therefore B. You remember all those things, if you guys remember that? Um, or if you guys practice that regularly with school and stuff like that, right? Um, so in light of that, you see here with this term, in using almost in a mathematical dimension with this term, you see that there is, in some sense, uh, the gospel is not just, okay, God is going to forgive anyone just willy-nilly. But no, there is a sense where God is, there's a rational thought behind it. There's certain rules, so to speak, um, with with even how we are credited to be righteous is what is, is of course, the basis ultimately we see in the New Testament is with Christ. Okay, that's why we're credited with righteousness. And the instrument of how we access or, or get that righteousness is we need faith. Okay. But the ultimate virtue is not where we look at a God and say, hey, look, my faith is virtuous is why we're saved. Though faith could be virtuous, right? We should have faith. But the ultimate credit, the ultimate one that gives um, the means, um, the one that provided, quote unquote, the funds to save us is Christ. Does that make sense? Now, no one, just like in the same way, if I were to be saved, if I were to be, let's just say I accidentally fell over a river and these helicopter came, and they saved me from the Coast Guard, whatever. And, and they saved me. And I'm holding on with all my faith, dear life, okay? After I get up to the plane, would it be strange for you guys to think of say, Hey, guys, look, I have so much faith. I was holding on to my rescuer. You'd be almost like, whoa, yeah, you should hold on. But no one would brag as, as a virtue. Does that make sense? The virtue is the kindness and goodness of my rescuer. Same thing, the ultimate merit comes from Christ, the goodness. Do we need to have faith? Yes, that's a mean of accessing that grace, okay? But we see here with God's grace um, or an instrument of how we get saved. But we see in regards to this, we see that even within God, there is this um, Trinitarian working of a logic uh, of reasoning of how is it the basis of salvation, of course, is Christ, as we see in the rest of the New Testament. But then there is this crediting that, okay, once there is this faith, if there is faith in Abraham, then you will be saved. Okay, then he'll be credited as righteous. Okay, so God himself regards the matters of salvation also has and abide by logic. And I would actually say it's his logic. Okay, um, actually, I do think as we go over apologetics later on um, in the next few weeks, I also think logic, that is the law of correctful thought, okay, or correct uh, thinking, logic itself, ultimately, I think, is a good tool and it's real in this world. And it applies to the real world. But nevertheless, why does it exist? I actually think logic is a powerful argument for the Christian God. That is, if the Christian God is true, we would expect the laws of logic to be intelligible and meaningful. But I'm jumping the gun already. But that's going to be um, uh, in the next few weeks to follow, okay? 
we cover something called the transcendental argument. Okay, so here we see Christians are to be uh, God Himself is reasonable. Therefore, we should also see that when we think our thoughts after Him, that if we are to be God godly, we have to pursue um, reason. Okay, now do we have limitations of reasoning? Yes. Okay, and therefore this is why we need the Word of God always to inform us. Okay. But let me, let's look at another verse, okay? Uh, James, ooh, I did not write the verse down. Um, I want to say James 3.17. Um, that was James 2.23. I want to say the next one is James 3.17. Uh, let me make sure before Mandy you read. I'm sorry. James 3.17, yes. Uh, James 3.17. Mandy, if you could read this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Amen. Okay. Um, in James 3.17, notice these are to say that in terms of the characters of believers, what should we pursue? We should definitely have wisdom from above. Amen. And part of wisdom from above include a lot of godly virtues that's mentioned here. Being gentle, right? Being full of mercy. And having good fruits, and I think this is referring to the fruit of the Spirit, being impartial and being free of hypocrisy. But don't miss the one that I just skipped, which is the word reasonable. I realize some of your version probably doesn't say reasonable. Some of your version might even have a footnote and says ready to yield. But I actually think the ready to yield is ready to yield to what is reasonable and to what is right. Okay, So there is an attribute of, of, a, of a sound, godly, mature Christian would actually you would be reasonable that is you're following proper laws of thoughts and reason and thinking also as well right by the way there's no virtue let's just say you know right now i'm teaching my daughters for homeschooling we're going over logic right one of the things we went over uh yesterday what do we went over what fallacy do you remember hannah what are some fallacies okay and fallacy okay of irrelevance right a fallacy of relevance okay which is and i was giving the example of like let's just say what do you remember some of the example Things that, uh, okay. Uh, sorry, I'm talking to my youngest right now. Okay, I'll, I'll give an example. We were giving thought where we were saying yesterday, um, when I was asking them for example, one of them said, or I think my wife might have said, it's like, hey, the sky is blue, um, therefore you should give me your money. Now, is the sky blue, like or visible to our eyes? Blue, yes, but it's irrelevant to the conclusion that you should give money. Does that, if, if you were to think illogically, does that necessarily glorify God? I don't think necessarily so, because James 3.17, one of these things is to be relevant, okay? Is to be relevant. By the way, even when we interpret the Bible rightly, you're also drawing what is from Scripture and the right implication, the right application. Does that make sense? You're pulling it correctly, right? You're not misapplying it. So there needs to be even the laws of logic or reason within there, okay? But James 2.23 uh, we uh, correction James three seventeen shows it's not just only remember James two twenty three shows that God within Himself He's crediting righteousness. There's inner logic, the reasoning within God, but also for us, even as believers, we are to be reasonable. James three seventeen, and let me look at another one. Let's maybe look at it another way. To be unreasonable, to do things without reason, is not seen in God's word as a virtue. Okay. It even, in fact, is seen as foolish. Turn with me real quick to Proverbs 3.30. For the next one, if I could ask Eric, if you be my happy, motivated reader, to read for me uh, Proverbs 3.30. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 30. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Okay, amen. What version, um, Eric, are you reading from? ESV, is that correct? Uh, NASB in this case. Okay, NASB, okay. Um, without cause, okay. Man, I think I accidentally copied it from NIV. I don't know what version I copied it from, uh, from Bible Gateway, where it says, Do not contend with a man for no reason, okay? For no reason, if he has done you no harm, okay? N notice, by the way, Proverbs is a book about wisdom, okay? So wisdom is a dimension of, of thinking rightly, which is involved with, uh, uh, with reason and logic, right? And here you see that when it comes to the ethical... You, by the way, to back up, I don't think this verse says you should never apply violence, Okay, because I do think there is such thing as an ethical application of violence for areas like, for instance, self-defense. Right. If someone comes to hurt you um, or your kid, um, you know, like I think a biblical thing is try to de-escalate. Right. It's not like, oh, I can't wait to apply violence. You know, try to de-escalate, try to run away, avoid all that. But if you're in a situation where you're stuck, I do think there is a right place for the application. Um, hopefully the proportional and. Uh, uh, application of violence, okay? But you see here, um, and not something to celebrate or joyful about, right? But definitely what we see here is not a condemnation of no violence whatsoever, that all violence are equally the same. But this is saying, hey, if you're doing things for no perp no reason, you're being violent, there's no basis, then that is actually not seen as a virtue. In fact, it's seen as foolish and it's something that is seen disapprovingly. Yes, we're making a value judgment and saying that is wrong, okay? So I think all these taken together shows... That what point number two? God wants us to reason. Okay, God wants us to reason. By the way, even just I don't want this to be so abstract where you guys think this is all philosophy and stuff like that. Um, sometimes we ask the question, "What is God's will for my life?" I know sometimes we could easily be very mystical, and I do think God sometimes leads us and guides us in a way that does not seem at that moment um, to make sense. I do think that is there is a place for that, and we be, but we must always go by Scripture. But I think most of the time. People make it so mystical. I actually think most of our life decision is, we. I often would say is what? How do we make practical life decision is number one, what does God's word has to say about it? Does God say yes or no? Then if it's yes, you, you go ahead, could do this, or, or you should do this. If he says no, then what? Then you should not do this. But then you might say, Jimmy, there's some things, the decision that's not black and white, which is true. The Bible does not say, don't do this. But then you have... What do you do then? Then I would say, okay, is it wise? The second question, is it wise? Does that make sense? Um, if it's not a wise thing, then don't do this. Okay? If it is a wise thing, then that's God's will. Then go ahead and do this. But then some people will say, okay, well, there's still some categories of things. That's not an issue of sin, number one, or an issue of wisdom. Then what do I do? For instance, have you guys ever met anyone that wake up and then they call, hey, Pastor Jimmy, I don't know what to do. I am so frozen. Because I woke up this morning at 6 and I got to go to work. And I cannot choose two black socks. Which two pairs of black socks should I wear? And I'm frozen because I'm so scared. This is where I say, hey, Christian liberty. God made socks for the glory of God. You pick whatever it is and you, you, you wear it for the glory of God and you enjoy Him forever. That's an issue of Christian uh, preference, okay? Um, I would, oftentimes you hear people's response, it doesn't matter. I would say, no, it does matter. This person is struggling because he knows God is so important. But his mattering is he does not understand the area of liberty. 
okay? That there's liberty that you could have, and you wear it for the glory of God, right? You wear it for the glory of God, amen? Okay? Um, so this is where we see uh, with all this. So reasoning does matter. God wants us to reason, okay? So let's go to point number three now. Uh, there's wrong views of relationship and faith and reason, okay? Now that we see there's both, now I want to go over that the world often has, and even sometimes, unfortunately, even in theology and apologetics, wrong view of the relationship of faith and reason. Um, so I'm going to give uh, three examples of wrong views of faith and reason, okay? The first one, I guess we could look at it as a hand, okay? Or just both hands, okay? If in one hand, maybe I'll just write the word faith. Actually, Nancy, could you be my Vanna White? Is that what it's called? Um, if you could write, is this, oh, this is not possible, right? If you could write faith in nice, because I have bad handwriting. I'm going to have my wife as a, is that what's called? Wheel of Fortune. Her name is Vanna White or Vanna White. I don't know. I just remember the Marines, they would always have guys that go up there and write and they'll call him Vanna White. Okay. Faith. You guys see this? Okay. And then the next one, honey, if you be able to write reason. Okay. Just to make it a little bit more visual. The first wrong view is you see reason and faith are in opposition, okay? Where you almost view faith and reason are like fists, and it's going to be clashing, right? Faith and reason, and it's just clashing. They're in opposition to one another, okay? They're in opposition to one another. And I think often, um, by the way, let me back up before we even go further. Could there be abuse of, could there be wrong, could there be an abuse of faith, an abuse of reason? Yes, okay. Um, uh, what, what I mean by that is, for example, is um, you could have bad faith when you have the faith in the wrong thing or not enough faith in something, right? But, but I'm talking about one of the ways you could have where faith could be bad is you have the faith in the wrong thing. Does that make sense? If I have faith in an idol instead of God the Bible, then that idol could be anything, right? Money, wealth, prosperity, or, or some little statue or stuff like that, right? Then obviously I have wrong faith or I abuse my faith in the wrong content. And I think also as well, reason could be abused too, right? Okay, we'll talk about what that means in a bit. But I want to say this is not this is not what it's talking about. This is a wrong view where it says faith and um, reason are always clashing. There's no room for it any way to be compatible. Does that make sense? And I think this view often, uh, what, what makes it uh, wrong is often the way this one of the ways this manifests itself is where someone has a wrong view of a wrong definition of faith. Okay? And I think you see this oftentimes when you talk to an atheist, right, in college campus, where if I ask them, what does faith mean? They'll say, um, faith means believing something that is false. I say, huh, okay, how do, you, how do you do that? I mean, faith, I mean, believe is assenting to something, right? You, your volition is saying this is true. This is something you hold on to. But then you can also say this is not true. So I actually think there's a incompatible definition with that. But going back on, um, for example, Frederick Nietzsche, famous atheist, he defined faith as, and I'm just quoting here, right, is to avoid knowing what is true. So he defined faith as avoid knowing what is true, right? And uh, even in a modern um, dictionary of philosophy, Peter Angelus, okay, he defined his belief in something despite the evidence against it, right? It's saying all these evidence stacked up against it and you still believe it anyways. Um, I don't think that's a biblical view of faith. But if you have this definition of faith, then you will see reason and faith will always be what? In opposition and clashing with one another, right? If I have this as a fist, they're going to be what? Clashing with one another, so to speak. But this goes against what scripture teach what biblical faith is, okay? If you guys could turn right now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. 
Hebrews 11 verse 1. Um, Rebecca, could you be my happy motivated reader to come read for me Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. You could read from my version or from your version of New King James. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. With a big girl voice so everyone can hear, okay? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, okay? Okay, go ahead. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, amen, okay. So here we see here, okay. Um, so she raised the hand. Mom, grandma wrote. Something like that, okay? So, um, Hebrews 11, verses 1. Notice, I, I think you see here that when it comes to faith, it's not as if you're believing something that's not true or something that's totally irrational. Notice, by the way, there's dimension of true biblical faith that has dimension that is based upon reason and in truth. Because notice the term certainty that's mentioned and proof in the New, uh, New American Standard Bible. I like how the New King James Version stated it, right? There's even evidence with it okay that there is not as if this is something in reason where they could clashing with one another okay so true biblical faith the one that god honors is not against reason and there is a characteristic of it that is reasonable now please be patient with me how does it fit faith and reason and everything fit together we're going to be talking about this still and also when we give the argument later on what i call the transcendental argument we're going to see man it fits together so beautifully okay so let's so that's one wrong view where it says that reason and faith are in opposition. Another wrong view is faith does not need reason, okay? This is where they're just they're not maybe clashing with one another, but this is where they're in separate spheres, right? It's almost as if if you're having this is in two separate bowls, right? We don't have any bowls, okay? But there's just two separate area. It's a separation of faith and reason, okay? And there's a big wall between this, okay? So I, uh, so the second and third one I have is there's an assumption that there's a separation between them. But specifically, uh, the second wrong view is faith does not need reason, okay? Um, because, like I said, they're not clashing, but they might say, okay, faith does not need reason. I'll just have this, um, I could have this as maybe two separate, I'm just going to use this as a, with books, I think that'll help it make it stand to look better. You guys can see this, Faith? Okay. And I'm gonna have another one that says reason, okay? So you could say faith and reason, and the underneath it is the foundation, right? Like, so the second wrong view is, is saying faith does not need reason. You see faith here? Is that, can you guys see? Faith and reason. Reason is the foundation. Okay, uh, of faith that pleases God. And this wrong view is saying faith does not need reason. So this is one view, and the same this is nine. It's like, hey, they're not, this faith doesn't need reason at all. Okay, but actually, and so in other words, the way this manifests itself is often where you say things like, okay, well, you know, um, faith, you need to have a leap uh, of logic, leap and jump with that. And you're no longer based upon reason whatsoever. And therefore, boom, that is what faith is. Um, it is true. I do think reason could get us only so far for certain things, not for all things, for certain things. But this is the view of saying that faith and reason, they're not even, faith don't even need a foundation at all of reason. Okay. Um, but I do think that does have some challenges biblically. 
where you do see there's verses that sometimes with certain beliefs, certain claims, certain proposition, I don't think all claims, but certain proposition, you need the faith is actually based upon reason. Turn with me real quick to Acts 1-3. If you guys could turn with me to Acts 1-3. Hannah, could you be my happy motivated reader? To read for me Acts 1-3. You want to read from my version or your version? It is your choice. It's your liberty. Okay. Acts 1-3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Could you read this real quick, my lady? Okay, go ahead. also praised, presented, presented him, himself alive after his suffering, suffer, suffering by many con, convincing, convincing puff, proofs. proofs appearing to them over a period, period of 14 days, 40 days. 40 days and speaking of the things con, concerning. concerning the kingdom of God. Amen, okay. So she has, Marmy has missed. you see that? Okay, Ms. Burns, she saw it. Okay, so Acts uh, one three, um, Acts one three shows us in the context. This is after Christ has been resurrected. This is uh, when Christ was about to ascend back to heaven. Is the context of Acts one, and here I mentioned that in regards to Christ's resurrection, um, was it real that Christ literally physically resurrected from the dead? The answer is yes. How do we know this? Uh, we know this. Um, in more than one tiers of belief. We know here that there was convincing uh, proofs of witnesses that they them, the apostles saw that this happened. But was it, was it only based upon that? There's also, we see in 1 Corinthians 15, um, also it's based upon scripture. There's predictions of that. Does that make sense? All of this thing, okay? The fulfillment of that, right? That's why we know he's the Messiah. Um, and also for us, if we don't experience it, how do we epistemically or how do we ground how do we know what we know of that? It's based upon scripture, right? But here we see here in Acts 1-3, there are instances where, you know, when it comes to faith, if you fill in the word faith, specifically with the truth claim of resurrection of Christ, is it based upon reason? That there's reason if you could even substitute that in with convincing proofs. What do you guys say? The answer is yes, okay? The answer is yes. I know there's some of you guys here that are, into presuppositional apologetics, please don't throw stones in the sense of I've somehow gone astray from being presuppositional. Uh, I do believe we could give evidence within presuppositional, um, but it's there's different kinds of evidence. There's transcendental arguments uh, uh, for evidence, and there's also the more normal claims of everyday thing of if A then B, deduction or induction, okay? But for now, I just want to show you that there is the claim of Christ's resurrection, okay? Uh, is that, so the second view is wrong, where you say faith does not need reason. It could just float out there totally without the support of reason, okay? But then there's another wrong view, um, where reason does not need faith. And I think most people actually th hold this view. They, when it comes to this view, you know how earlier the second view I said is faith needs um, faith in some things, some claims, need a foundation of reason. Then there's the other view is this. The third wrong view is reason does not need faith. Reason does not need faith. Most people don't even think, most people actually do really do think this. They don't think reason need any faith whatsoever. They think reason is by itself and is reasonable. And there's nothing 
with any belief system that you hold uh that you have to trust ahead of time okay why so this is a view of saying okay faith a reason is by itself it doesn't need faith but i think there is problems with that there is problems with that i want to look at scripture before we give you some philosophical arguments turn with me real quick to hebrews eleven nineteen. hebrews eleven nineteen. okay hebrews eleven nineteen. when we turn there um chris would you be able to read that for us real quick hebrews eleven nineteen. Verse 11, 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from death, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Yeah, this is talking, Hebrews 11, 19, by the way, um, uses that word logizomai, which is remember to reason, to think, to use logic, okay, to abide by proper rules of thinking. It's interesting because Hebrews eleven nineteen. remember the context, this is a chapter that's on faith. It's called the halls of what? Faith, right? And it's interesting you see that faith and reason are not incompatible. We've established this, but this reinforce and fortify this. But furthermore, I think there's an interesting, fascinating observation for Hebrews eleven nineteen is this, is that you see that which came first, the chicken or egg? No, I'm just kidding. Which came first with Abraham? Did he first had faith in God and then he reasoned? Or did he reason first and then have faith? According to Hebrews eleven nineteen, in this aspect, he's speaking here. Again, Hebrews eleven nineteen. Which one came first? I actually think he believed in God first. That God is the God who keeps His promise, not just a mere generic deism of God. He knows the character of God. That God keeps His word. That God made certain promises. That remember in Genesis twelve, Genesis fifteen, what that God will raise descendants from Him as numerous as the stars. And when God suddenly says in Genesis twenty two a, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to be sacrificed in Mount Moriah. Man, I actually think that's messianic typology that has a, 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 apologetics and evidential value because it shows the prediction of everything. I mean, Isaac carrying the wood, man, in, in Mount Moriah, which later on we know in First Kings, this is where the temple was built in. I think everything was pointing towards Christ. Even when God told him, take your son whom you love, that reminds us of, of what John three sixteen. God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, right? All of this, right? It, to me, is messianic typology. But here we see he begins first by uh, faith, and then he reasons. Oh, if he tells me that my son will be sacrificed, there, he's now making an inference to say there must be a resurrection. If this is the Isaac is the one, the chosen one, where the Messiah, the le- ge- genealogy and descendant of Messiah will come from. That and how do you? deal with this that he might, he will die and also live, then he made the inference, the logical deduction. There's logical steps of thinking here, rules of thinking. And he says, there must be a resurrection from the dead. So here we see here that in regards to this part, when we see, you know, um, so remember, uh, let me back up again. Um, this view, when it says the wrong view is reason does not need faith, right? Where you see reason depends on faith. Um, you know how the wrong view is saying, hey, reason could be by itself. I actually do think it is biblical to say reason needs faith, okay? Because here we see scripture uh, begins with that. But also I think another way philosophically why this is problematic is this. When you think about reasoning, n- tell me one laws of reason. What, what is one law of reason you guys could think of? Laws of what? The law of non-contradiction? Yeah, law of non-contradiction, which is two or more claims that are opposing one another, um, cannot be true in the same sense in the same time also as well right 
Like I cannot say to you guys, I'm, um, what? I'm half pregnant. Is that possible? I'm half pregnant? No, it's logically contradictory, right? Could I tell you guys that I'm, um, I exist and don't exist at the same time? No, it's logically contradictory. Does that make sense? Okay. So in light of this, uh, in in light of this, you see that the law of non-contradiction assumes certain things. Yes. Assume certain things. Um, when I ask you to prove to me, hey, how do you know the law of non-contradiction don't exist? The proof you would have is not saying, oh, if A, then B, right? Or you would often say, hey, it's so foolish to reject it. It's to be so foolish. By the way, that has implication for later how I'm going to argue for the existence of God. But I want to just mention also as well, faith, logic is always, reasoning is always putting in what? Reference. Claims in this world. And you're abiding by the rule. You always, even when you, you guys remember in class before, like if Socrates is a man, uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, all men are mortal. That is, all men could have the capacity of dying. Socrates is a mortal. Therefore, what? Socrates could be mortal, which is um, being able to die, right? Uh, or capability of dying. Remember all that logic? So there's you're plugging things in, right? So you can't do reason by itself alone. There's always things that you need to have faith in that Socrates is real that there is a man there, there is such thing as mortality right so what i'm trying to say is this reason is a great tool but it makes a bad master it's not you can't just have it by itself you need to still have faith and also you still have faith that what does the law of non-contradiction applies even in areas you don't see could i still be could i exist and not exist even on the other side of pluto where we don't ever see see it from telescope yeah it still applies in other words you still have faith Okay, so in other words, even when it comes to reason, it always has faith. But if you think reason always doesn't need faith, that becomes a problem. Because, okay, you say, okay, why do you believe this? You keep on asking, hey, why do you believe this? Why do you believe not in contradiction? Okay, but why do you believe, uh, and they give you reason B. And then you go, okay, why do you believe reason B? Then you go reason C. Do you ever go infinitely regress? You keep on going forever of reason. Or do you stop somewhere? Obviously, you stop somewhere and you need to have faith somewhere. So reason itself needs faith in the foundation. So at this point, it might almost sound like a contradiction. Let's bring it all together. I believe that some things you have faith requires reason. Does that make sense? Then the opposite is also true. Reason could also have faith. And this is where some people have said, wait a minute. Now the Christian worldview seems like a contradiction. How could it be both at the same time? And this is where we now go to the right view of this. The right view, like I said, is there's some beliefs. Nancy, you could write another one. Uh, ultimate faith. Or if you could write presupposition, actually. Presupposition is better. Um, so it is true. There's some things you have faith um, that I, I believe in. And it is true that you have reason. But there's actually the reason to make this not a contradiction where it could be both. is actually reason rests in not just any ordinary faith or ordinary claim. It rests on a subset of faith, a kind of faith that is called your presuppositions. Okay, so you see the word your presuppositions. Now, I know in our English term, we use the word presupposition to mean assumption, right? You guys say, hey, why do you presuppose this? Like, for instance, if I go up to you and say, when was the last time you beat your wife? Some people will say, hey, you're making an assumption. That first and foremost, I am married. And number two, that I, I have a wife. And number three, that I am beating uh, her. Actually, I think there's two, right? That, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, married, that you have a wife. Because what if I'm talking to a woman, right? That is some, you know, anyways, you get the idea. There's all these assumptions, right? So sometimes we use that term presupposition. But in the technical term in philosophy, the word presupposition does not, is not the same thing as assumption. It's actually 
presupposition is things that you have faith with. Things that you have faith in. That has to be true in order for reason to be reasonable. So in other words, the way you look at it is like this. Okay? Is you have a set of three. Okay? So, for instance, the faith that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Is, that, is there evidence for that? Yeah, Acts 1-3. Remember reason? They saw and stuff like that. But those reason, the foundation of this reason in order to be reasonable needs faith. Needs faith about certain things about re- reality. For instance, if you don't believe reality exists, could you have laws of logic? No, because there's no laws of logic to apply to. Laws of logic itself does not exist. So you need certain faith. But this ultimate kind of faith, what we call worldview faith, which we'll talk about more later on, is called a presupposition. Does that make sense? So for me, I do think it's okay to talk about, argue for the resurrection is historical. That there's proofs for that. And there's reason. But then reason itself also is an evidence for uh, uh, you need this ultimate thing. When I actually say the ultimate presupposition is actually God and the Christian entire biblical worldview is needed. Okay, So I think the right view is there are some beliefs, let me say this again, which we have faith in that's founded on reason. Okay, I think very likely tomorrow would what? The sun will rise because what the reason is I saw yesterday. But then I'm assuming certain things like uniformity of nature. But why do I assume this? Is because the ultimate thing is what? Well, God is a God of regularity. In the God in Genesis 9 says the Noah covenant, there will always be the fourth season. So do you guys see that all of this is, is this? But this presupposition is kind of different in the sense that it's not just regular way of proving things as this regular ordinary faith. But ultimately... It is going to be your ultimate starting point. Hopefully that is your Christian God. We'll talk about this. Everyone else, everyone has different starting point presupposition. And the way we're going to be reasonable is to see uh, whether or not your presupposition is, the, is a quicksand or the true foundation, the solid rock that everything else can stand upon. Okay, let me stop at this point here. And any questions?